Welcome to the Contractor Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Phillips. This show exists to help small business owners like you escape the tyranny of contractor prison and enter the bliss of contractor freedom so you can have the time, money, and freedom to live your life with purpose beyond your business. As a certified human behavior consultant in disc personality styles and motivators, I'll be sharing with you skills for life, love, leadership, and business. I'll also be connecting you with experts that can help you scale your business and your life. So if you want to build the business and life of your dreams, then you are in the right place. Let's go. Hello, contractors. Jason Phillips here, and I actually have another Jason with us. None other than the one and only Jason Paris from Paris Painting and Aleph Holdings. And I think you're going to really enjoy what enjoy Jason today and the, and the chat we're going to have. So, Jason, welcome. And for, for those that, uh, man, for those that don't know who you are, uh, which would be surprising, you know, hey, give us, give us the lowdown. Who's Jason Paris? Yeah, so it's pretty cool. Both of our names are Jason. Both of our last names start with P. So we're both JPs. We're both Jason. Uh, so I'm a humble painter from Flyover Country, man. I'm in Minnesota, as we like to call it. Uh, also known as the Silicon Valley of painting. We have quite a few major HQs in the painting world up here. Titan, Graco, 3M, a uh, handful of others. Yeah, humble painter from flyover country, just uh, you know, slaying in one gallon at a time. So uh, now, now, Jason, a humble painter, yeah. um, very humble, most humble, number okay, one, the, hum, the, the humble part. Let's number one, humble. Let's talk about the painter part. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have you actually ever actually painted? I did. I painted did. for a summer in college. No way, you've man, you've program. got one up on me. Yeah. Oh, hold, man, I did not I know, know how to that. hold a brush. You hold a brush like a pencil, not like an ice cream cone. And uh, yeah, I, I know how to work the viscous, viscous nature of paint and cut a nice line. And, and uh, I, I mean, I know enough to be dangerous. You know, if you handed me a paintbrush, I, it would probably be like watching Forrest Gump when he was a kid run down, run down the dirt road from those kids on the bikes when he had those braces on his legs. I'd yeah, probably be you'd, watching me. You would hurt your, You'd find a way to hurt yourself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Wow, I did not, man. I did not, did yeah. not know that you had actually oh, yeah. done painting before. Super cool. I got Super my sunburns, cool. and I mean a lot of exterior painting, and so yeah, scraping houses and caulking wood, and yeah, did all that. <laughs> you know, I my first week in the business, I actually worked as a helper. Uh, we and we painted a, a fairly large exterior, had all kinds of French doors, uh, stained garage doors. And I, I learned a lot and it took us a week to do that house. I learned a lot about how much time it takes to do certain things. Yeah. And I'm a huge fan of, of sending people, uh, out on the job to do what I call the, the real work initially. Uh, yeah. so they'll have, have an appreciation for it, especially if they're going to be in like a sales role or something like that. Yeah. But so what, what do things, man, what do things today look like for yeah. you know, Paris painting? Where are you guys at today? Yeah. So Paris painting is an eight figure business in residential repaint. We dabble a little bit here and there in commercial, uh, but it's more stuff that we trip over. So somebody's uncle owns a building and they want us to give a, a quote. But for the most part, our bread and butter is working with homeowners, working with clients. We are in Minnesota. So we kind of have April through October to really hammer out exteriors. 
We are majority subcontractor base for our labor pool. We have a good sized team that's in-house. So that's about 12 employees that does in-house painting, but the vast majority is subcontractor base. Uh, the amount of exterior to interior spread has gotten more and more uh, even over the last five years. So that's been a continual push to try and uh, not decrease our exterior volume, but to increase the interior volume. Uh, but, but still by and large, it's probably a 60, 40 split at this point of exterior to interior. So, uh, do you guys do anything else other than painting? We have a little division called Paris Roofing, where we'll do the roofing of houses. Uh, we kind of dabbled in whole-on remodels through a branch called Haven Builders for a while. Uh, we started that with an operating partner and ended up selling that to him uh, earlier this year in January. So we no longer do remodels. We do remodels. We do new construction builds through our Alf Capital arm but that is to build multifamily housing that we right. own. And so we're the clients and the builders and the investors okay. in that endeavor. Wow. That's pretty awesome. You know, we should uh, circle back on that here in a few minutes. Sure. You know, you said, you said eight figure for, for Paris painting. That's yeah. uh, quite rare in the painting world. It's rare. Especially for especially, residential. Yeah. I was gonna say in residential, especially, um, you know, it's the wild west of an industry. Uh, it's going through its maturation. It also is just fundamentally different than a lot of other trades industries. So it's not like HVAC and plumbing, which we call the license or, or electrical, right? The licensed trades. Um, and I think it will professionalize over time, but it's always going to be just fundamentally different from those two things, uh, from those three trades. It's, it's, the, a, it's a trade that the gap between a chuck and a truck and a professionalized company is large but it's much larger in other industries. And I think that's going to continue to drive, um, you know, what the aggregate average is in, in painting. And the barrier to entry is so small in painting. Barrier to entry is small. The um, emergency levels are low. There's no paint emergencies. There are plumbing emergencies. There are electrical emergencies. There are HVAC emergencies. And then the consequences for improper installations are pretty low as well. The consequence for an improper installation for a plumbing company is very high. Yep. The, prop, the consequence for an improper installation for a painting company is relatively low, especially compared to those other licensed trades. So those are some of the fundamental underlying uh, elements of our trade that will always keep us a little bit different, a little bit separate. But um, for sure, right now, it is the Wild West, and you don't have uh, you have a lot of self-employment out there, but not many entrepreneurs, not many business owners. So what do you, what do you think, Jason, is the uh, – and, of, and of course – I know you're speaking more than just for your company because you've, you know, been, been uh, part of the PCA for, uh, in, in a leadership role there for several years. Uh, I'm sure you had, you were privy to a lot of other insider information, right? What, what do you, what's, you know, the key to you guys becoming eight figure and uh, kind of the part two of that is what do you think's limiting? What do you see as limiting most painting companies from, from really taking off and growing? Yeah, the number one limiter for painting companies is who's the owner, <laughs> who's the founder. And that is often their output that's gonna determine how, how high that, that company flies. What's even more rare, so that, that's the, the number one limiter, the governor, you would say. Beyond that, it, it's pretty rare to architect a system that scales beyond yourself. So for most founders, it's how well can they execute their business model? So what is their execution ability? That's a combination of bandwidth and skill. 
So what's their bandwidth? What is their skill? The second element would be, what is the model that they're trying to execute? Is it a model that is very easy to execute? It's very complex to ex execute? How well does it leverage their talents of both bandwidth and skill? Then you start to architect a organization or a company. That inherently requires quite a bit of humility, which is pretty counter, um, <laughs> counter to anyone who starts a painting company. A lot of egos involved. Yeah. Yeah. So scaling yourself beyond yourself, that's been the key to us achieving eight figures. It's not like I work harder. I, I don't, there's nothing that I do day to day, week to week or month to month in Paris painting, I'm what you would call an active board member. Uh, so it's not my bandwidth and it's definitely not my skill, right? That was probably one of my um, saving graces in building a team is it was very easy for me to find people that were better than me at pretty much everything because I'm not very good at anything. So I think that's, that's what helped us grow that's what's challenging for people to grow is architecting a system that can grow beyond themselves, which requires humility. Uh, and it also requires, you know, a system that is executable by other people, which is taking everything that's in intuition, turning it into a process, everything that's in recall and transforming it into reference. You know, so much, so much of what tends to get many companies started, uh, is also the same thing that kind of what you're saying that, that becomes their limiting factor. I can do it myself. I don't need anybody to teach me. I'm, I'm smart. I'm strong. Mm -hmm. I can do it. And then you end up in this place where, yeah, you're doing it and you have to do it. And you're the linchpin in your business. You're the smartest guy there. And you have and, and you know, it does take humility to hire people that are smarter than you. And honestly, you know, it can be, it can be uh, scary to, you think as the business owner, the tendency is to, is to think as the business owner, wow, I've got to be the smartest guy on this team. They're all looking to me. Man, I better, better know what I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. And what you're saying mm -hmm. is honestly just the opposite of that, right? So how do you, yeah. how do you, you, know, how do you lead people that are, quote, you know, smarter than you? And that doesn't mean they're smarter than you in everything. But in what you've hired them to do, you're hiring someone that has a skill level above yours. How do you lead those people? Yeah, I don't want to lose that. So I'll come back to what is leadership. You hit on something that was really impactful, which is you talked about the origin of why people are getting into painting in the first place. And it's almost a chicken and egg scenario. It's a cyclical problem, which is we have a lot of people that are starting painting companies. Why? Why are they starting painting companies? They're starting painting companies because they are proficient at painting and they have abilities that are not being realized. Right? So oftentimes those abilities are, I have the ability to paint and I have some sales skill or I have some project management skill, or maybe I could be a VP of sales, or maybe I could be a, a, an operations director. What does that person do? How many Phillips painting companies are there in the US? How many Paris paintings are there in the US? There are not many places for people who have painting competencies and mid-level management potential for that potential to be realized. They're almost forced to start their own painting company to get a taste of realizing their potential of any kind of leadership uh, above and beyond the baseline of hard work, uh, leveraging some of their, their management abilities. So they're forced to start their own companies. They're really good mid-level managers for a painting company, but they're not entrepreneurs and they're certainly not business owners. And then you have this counter, then, then they create companies that aren't able to provide roles because that's where they originate from. And then those people leave. And so it's a cyclical issue. What makes you a good leader is not uh, being highly skilled. It, it certainly helps to have enough domain expertise to call somebody out on their, their BS, to help them problem solve, uh, and to know when to push back, right? So if you are you know, a leader of operations and you have a subcontracting crew and they're telling you, I can't solve this problem, it's too hard to do, 
it's good if you know how to solve problems in that domain of expertise and you can help them and you're going to you know, teach them what to do. Otherwise you'd say, oh, I guess we don't know what to do. Let's just close the company. I don't know, right? Or get, let's just give them more money. It's, it's ir irrational. Leadership, I think a lot of who, what makes you a good leader is who you are. And so this is something I've come to realize over the last couple of years is anytime I hire a high level leader in our organization, the number one thing we're hiring is the person. Who is that person? And then secondarily, what can they do? What is their domain expertise? What's their background? Because leadership, first and foremost, it's contagious, right? And I would, I would, I would guess that the company that you've built, it, it is, it is a, a little bit of your DNA, right? So who Jason Phillips is, is almost osmosified by those around him, right? Because your leadership is contagious. If you have high energy, positivity, uh, can-do attitude, shoot for the stars, that is contagious amongst the people that report to you. Similar if you're anxious, uh, self-conscious, concerned, fearful, uh, aggressive, that is also contagious. So leadership is about who you are first and foremost. That's contagious amongst your team and that's gonna help drive the culture and the success of your company. Love it, wow, could not, could not agree more. So you know, if you've got these guys that most everybody that starts their painting company, like you said, came in through one of those doors. They were a tradesperson, a salesperson, or a project manager, something like that, right? And, and they get to this point, and, and to me, I liken it to the, to the Peter Principle, where you know, in organizations, you get promoted uh, to the point of, of your uh, uh, in, uh, inability, your, your incompetence. Yep. And therefore, you, you know, you, the idea there is you end up with a, a, a company of people that have been promoted to their level of incompetence and are no longer competent to do their job. But the, the correlation I see is that, you know, we build our companies with what we had and we get to this level of incompetence and we can't take it to the next level because we don't know how. We don't know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And so we don't mm -hmm. know how to do it. Maybe we want to, but we, we've, we, haven't, we didn't go get an MBA. We, you know, we don't know what, what it takes to do that. And so I, I think that's, I think there's an answer to that. And I think that, you know, I think the answer is, uh, well, I, we'll talk about my answers later. I want, you know, I want to hear what are, what are your answers? How's, sure. how's the guy that's been in business for a few years and he's stuck at this, at this ceiling, this plateau where he can't, uh, he can't either take his company to the next level and, not, and, and you don't always want to take your company to the next level. Sometimes you just want your time back. You want freedom. Sometimes you want more money. Sometimes you want time. And, and really the combination of those, uh, you know, is, is part of what it takes to get freedom. But what, what would you say to the guy who's, who's stuck at, say, I don't know, a million dollars in revenue? What does he need to do? He's already in business. He may be doubting mm -hmm. himself. Am I even cut out to be a business owner? You know, what, what would you say to those guys? So we kind of get to the issue of what is the, starting with the end in mind, why did you get into business? A lot of times they got into business to be their own boss, to realize their potential beyond what they could find in any other painting organization. And they quickly achieved that, right? That's quickly achieved through being an owner operator, a lifestyle business. And there's nothing wrong with that. And you just have to decide if that's the path you want, or if you want something different, it's not a right or wrong. They're just different paths in life. I would also say that when you hit a dead zone or you, you hit kind of your ceiling against the wall, against you hit your head against the ceiling, what got you to that point may be what is actually limiting you from getting to the next point. So oftentimes a founder is extremely gritty. They have a very, very high tolerance for pain. 
They have to be good at everything because if they have a blind spot, it's going to drag them down and, and crush them, which means that they're not quite a specialist in anything. Um, and they also typically have like a decent level of charisma and leadership. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to build the foundations of a team. But the individual that's going to scale your company, you either have to transform into or you have to recruit and place because that person probably needs a very low tolerance for pain. Right? So when you started, you need a high tolerance for pain. Now you need someone with a low tolerance for pain. Right? They're going to say, oh, I don't like this. I got to just fix that until it's perfect. When you start, you have to be able to deal with everything. You're not, no longer hiring generalists who are good enough at everything that the ship isn't going to sink. They're highly specialized in one thing, and they can take that one thing to the next level. So those are some of the things that oftentimes you can find that you are just not the right person. You may be able to transform to that person, but oftentimes you have to recruit and change your org chart overall. And that can be traumatic to the ego. That can be traumatic uh, to your brain and to the architecture of what the company looks like. Uh, but th there's just a fundamental difference between a lifestyle business and an organization that utilizes the talents of multiple people. You know, in, in thinking about lifestyle businesses, I think there's, there's probably a lot, of, a lot of guys and gals out there that would be happy with a lifestyle business if it was really felt like a lifestyle business. Mm -hmm. And I, I talked to so many uh, contractors, they literally feel like they do nothing but fight fires in their business. And to me, that's not really even a lifestyle business. You know, so it sounds terrible. It does sound terrible, right? And so and I've been there. I just, that's what I call contractor prison. I have been there and I hate that. And to to see, you know, how can I how can I have a a peaceful night's rest? Not have to take phone calls at late hours constantly and on the weekends while I'm on a date with my wife or vacation or all of those things, you know, and uh, I, think, I think there's a way out, but I think we, you know, like you're saying, I think we need to think different as, uh, as business owners. We need, we need to change our frame of thinking, but too many times our thinking is stuck in the weeds. We're thinking about projects and, you know, how, how this material applies or the problems we're having there. And we're not thinking about these higher level things. And maybe, maybe part of the problem with that is we have a, a vision maybe that's, that's only towards the end of this month or the end of this year yeah. instead, of, instead of at the end of our career, right? Yeah. And there's the saying where the results you have are a product of the system you've created, right? And so the, what are the results of your business? I'm getting calls late at night. Why is that? We've created a business that, that achieves that, right? Uh, why, why, why do I feel terrible uh, after a night of drinking? I don't drink. But if someone were saying, why do I tear? Because you created a system where That's you put right. alcohol in your body and your body is rejecting it. It doesn't like that, right? And so like, what are you putting into your business that the business is rejecting? There's probably poor expectation setting. You're not a very productive person in the role that you're in. And so you need to be better or you need to find somebody to be in that role or your bandwidth is over capacity. So there's like priority management 101. There's, uh, you know, expectation ar architecture, what a systems handoffs looks like. Are pe people even being held accountable in your org chart? These are like 101 basics that just aren't, that is not, that's not painting. That is running right. a business and it's a very separate thing. And, and getting skilled up in those things, to your point, a lifestyle business is a beautiful thing. Uh, it's like being a dentist or a doctor uh, or a lawyer. You know, those are great, great roles to place and, and, uh, you, know, you, you can invest in real estate on the side or whatever you want to do. And uh, it's a beautiful way to live the American dream. Absolutely. 
Well, hey, um, you know, you're pretty into being healthy and maybe, you know, doing some crazy things like, you know, trekking across the glaciers in Alaska. So, you know, how did you, how did you get into that? What, you know, and tell, tell well, me you about and I this met, endurance stuff. Sure. You and I met in Expo, Arizona, I believe. And, and uh, you texted me a nice message after you were in, in the, on the airplane. And then you went on just a tear of fitness and inspired me. Uh, <laughs> no. No, I'd say that was part of it. Um, so fitness, it's like, uh, you, we all have like these phys- different areas of our life, right? And so physical is one area of my life. And, you know, why would you ever want to do physical things? You say, what's the purpose of your physical area of the life? And for me, there's two purposes. One, I want to be able to do as I'm called to do. And I want to treat my body as if it's a temple that houses the Holy Spirit. So those are the two purposes, right? And those purposes, you know, merge into a larger purpose. And it also is fueled by a passion of realizing human potential, right? And that's a passion that falls into my, my personal life domain. Personal, family, and world will be the different domains. So I think this is a very strong why. Um, I'm also very fortunate. I have a lot of free time and I have you know, plenty of resources. So I get to do cool and fun things. Um, I love, I'm going to head up to Alaska on Monday. We'll be there for two weeks. And, and I love heading up to Alaska with the family, taking the kiddos there. Um, got into endurance sports a couple of years ago. And that is you know, very, I'm like aligned with the universe in that, in that deal. So I've tried lifting weights and doing hypertrophy. And that for me never rang true. Uh, I had a tough time living in that world because it was more egocentric and I just, it, it didn't, it didn't, I wasn't aligned with the universe there. Uh, but endurance sports is totally who I am at my core. And so I love doing ultra marathons, you know, 100 mile runs, 200 mile runs, uh, getting up to Alaska, Ironmans. Um, you know, that's definitely my jam and, and I enjoy it. Wow. That is, man, that is incredible. You definitely have my respect on that. In absolutely, but I've incredible. taken a few days off, unlike you. So my, I don't have the streak like you have. I've taken. Well, a few I just, days I, off. I, I just don't want to break the chain because I know that if I do, I know what my history has been when I break the chain. And uh, you know, Dude. before I started this, it's like I couldn't get a solid thirty days without messing up something. And I, in my diet and my exercise went hand in hand. Hey, if I was eating well and exercising, but if I dropped off one or the other, the other fell off the wagon. You know, after you know two weeks of working out, I just was never going anywhere, and I finally just said it was af- actually it was after I read the book Atomic Habits. I said, "Look, I'm just going to be the kind of guy that doesn't miss a workout, no matter what. I'm going to show up." So I just started showing up. That was that was part of it, but but just like you, honestly, I you know I looked in the mirror. I said, "Look, I'm I'm gaining weight every year. My blood pressure is going up. My allergies are getting worse. I'm snoring. Just all these all this stuff was just going the wrong direction." And I said, man, God's got a lot more for me to do. And if I don't get myself mm-hmm. healthy, I'm going to miss out on it. And I'm not going to get to do what he's called me to do. And I'm not going to get to spend all this time with the people I love. I've got to make a change. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what, that's what did it for me. And, you were uh, a chubby boy. I don't know so if people realize I was. this. Because you weren't as out there as you are now. And so everyone just sees you now as like this fit dude. And uh, when I first met you, you were like Texas Texas rolling, you know, rolling, <laughs> rolling with some rolls. Yeah, I lost like 60 pounds. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, so I, I feel like, you know, and I'm sure you can attest to this, but when you, you know, when you're in physical, in, in a good physical shape, that energy just rolls over into every area of your life. For sure. Yeah, we I've are got physical. more energy and more mental energy for my family and for and for even my, my team at work 
than I did before. And I just, I love it. I, I just can't go back. And I, I try to convince everybody that I can to jump on the health bandwagon. And, uh, yeah. but, you know, I remember years ago, part, part of what my diet was, was I, I got off sugar and carbs. I went really super low sugar and carbs for a period of time. Mm-hmm. But it, it took me, I'm like, wait, I don't know if I can, can I not eat bread? I grew up eating bread with every meal. And so it's, so a, it's for, at the base of the food pyramid. So yeah. and so for yeah. a period of time, I said, look, I'm not having any at all until I get down to where I want to be. I'm not having any. And, but it, but I, I still see people that hold on to certain things like that, like a ball and chain, or, but it's a ball and chain, but they're clinging to it. And when you get on the other side, you're like, wow, why did I cling to that? How dumb life is so much better over here. Why couldn't I see that before? Yeah. It you know? depends what you want to serve. Right. And sometimes it's it's hard to have real clarity on what it is you want to be a servant to. Do you have a, like a typical morning routine? Hmm. Well, we have a three month old, so it, it <laughs> switches. It switches. Um, you know, in general, I wake up, uh, do a little Bible reading, go for a workout. But now like it's changed because now. I like to let my wife sleep in, which means that I'm making the kids breakfast before I go for my run. And then we have a three-year-old who is traumatized every time I leave the house. So I don't like to go and start my morning run until my wife has gotten enough sleep. And then I bring him upstairs and she has to hold him while I leave the house because it's traumatic for him. So I wish I could tell you it was the same thing every single day because I feel like I live a pretty regimented life. But that morning routine with young kids has been pretty, pretty in flux. I, I understand how that goes. I definitely understand how that goes. My, yeah. my, uh, our, our, our youngest one just started their senior year of high school. So cool. we're a little, little, little yeah, further, but I know it. exactly what you mean. Yeah. So my five-year-old, um, my five-year-old came into my bed this morning at four o'clock and decided to pee in my bed. So that was my morning. Oh, uh, the perils of parenthood. <laughs> just roll the dice. Which kid is it going to be today? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, hey, you said you, you said you read the Bible. I do. So, uh, B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. You're a believer, huh? I do. I am. Yeah, that's like the base code that you kind of um, set the framework of your life upon. So we all kind of make, this is the beautiful thing about being a human is we are architects, you know, more than any other creature that I'm aware of. So we are creators and architects and we get to manipulate our environment how we want it to. Uh, we can set plans and then see those plans through uh, in very unique and novel ways. And creating the architecture of the type of life you want to live oftentimes will force you to set the foundation, as you would say, right? What is the base code that you're going to have the operating system run off of? So the operating system that I run off of is, uh, you call it like the Judeo-Christian model. Uh, so the idea that, I don't know if you want to get into this right now, but the idea that there's a God, there's a creator, first and foremost, that that creator wants me to be in relationship with it for eternity, uh, but I'm, that I'm not able to because there's like some disconnect there of perfection and that I can personally not achieve that perfection on my own. I have to let go of my ego and receive the gift, which is pretty, it's a pretty deep gift about covenants and all these things, but just philosophically, I have to let go of my ego to allow uh, myself to receive the gift that allows me to enter into the presence of God, the universe, however you want to phrase it. So that's the base code that I operate under uh, and drives you know, when I am intentional, it drives my intentionality. Not to say that I'm not a reactive human like the rest of us. You know, 
my my foundation is is really the same, man. It's my belief, my belief in in God, my and not just my belief in God, but my relationship with God is the is the foundation of my life. And just honestly, I don't know how people do without it. And you, you know, the the gospel is called the you know the good news. And I think, quite frankly, I think it's so good. Some people like a free gift. It, we're not we're not brought up to we, we're brought up to think we need to earn things and uh, it just it's it's amazing that jesus paid the price for us so so that uh so that we don't have to have to it's a free gift and it does and honestly you're absolutely right it takes it takes humility to receive that gift mm-hmm. so uh i just do you jason do you how how does how does this play out in your company or through the years how has your your belief been played out practically in your company. Yeah, I think it's a great stress reliever. So when you operate under that paradigm, you believe a couple of things, right? You believe in eternity and you know, my mind can't quite grasp eternity, but it gives a certain level of um, calm to the outcome of your soul. So it helps put some of the day-to-day stressors in perspective. So that's one of the, the benefits I would say. Um, I feel like most high performers that I'm aware of uh, know how to use the spiritual realms, as you would call it, for good or bad, right? So some of the best performing artists, some of the most impactful evil people of the world understand the, the evil nature of the spiritual world and how to manipulate that or utilize its power and amplify it. I'd also say on the flip side, you know, the ability for people to receive grace, receive peace, uh, find alignment with who they are called to be and meant to be. There's just a, like an easy flow that happens in that. And it's not to say that life is always easy. Suffering is a part of life. Suffering is promised. But, you know, anxiety is not from the Lord. Uh, there's a spirit of fear that is not from the Lord, right? Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, but 2 Timothy 1.7 says, you know, we are not given a, a spirit of fear from God. Right? That, is not, that is not from the Lord. That's that is right. from man. Uh, and we are not called to be anxious. Uh, do not be anxious about everything, anything, but through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests before God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So that's probably the number one thing is just that anxiety, that fear. That is like entrepreneurism 101 that I think cripples a lot of people. And there's like a cheat code. I don't know if that's specific to Christianity, I think religion in general and spirituality can get you there. Where Christianity is unique is that unachievement-based focused. And that's that's not even like my natural inclination. I feel like I would love to be Muslim, quite frankly. I love excellence and I love achieving things. But the uniqueness of Christianity is that free gift that allows you to have a lot of humility. And this combination of, I am so, so precious to God that yeah. he would make this ultimate sacrifice for me. Yes. And I'm also such a sinner that I do not deserve the presence of God without that gift. That dual nature of holding yourself in high regard, but also holding yourself in ultimate humility, that frames a lot of how you interact with people and you know, extend grace, uh, extend mercy to others, knowing kind of where you're at. So that's a long-winded answer to say, I think in business, it helps you deal with anxiety and fear. You know, I- Particularly when, when I know, for me, when I know that, you know, God's called me to do something, his intention is for me to do something. To me, 
I've, I feel, you know what? I'm going to step out there. And guess what? If I fail, he's got me. If I fail, mm-hmm. he'll find another way. So it honestly, it gives me a peace and removes the fear of failure for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, guess what? I'm going to give him my best and, and, and his, his, I'm either going to learn or his grace is going to provide or something like that. So it's, it's, it really just yeah, it gives me like, a peace. Like the three common Bible stories that, you, that kids learn, right? There, uh, there's David and Goliath, right? And David is not talking about how awesome and mighty Goliath is. He's talking about how awesome and great his God is. barely focused on Goliath, him, not everybody else around him. And so there's that, there's Daniel in the lion's den, right? Daniel's willing to go into lion's den, not, not under the premise that he can overpower lions. But the God can save him. Exactly. There's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Uh which are their old names, but I'll just say that because it's more fun words to say. And that my favorite line about that story is even if, they say, well, even our God can save us, but even if he does not, we will not bow down. And so that's kind of the spirit of when you're called into something, you say, I'm going to go do this. And even if, even if, that's right. right. Even if, what, what is, what is the, that's kind of, what is your purpose? What is your passion? What is your calling? Uh, what if it is, what if God's plan for your life is an even if scenario, right? And you say like, well, you know, I would much rather have like 40 years of pleasure than an eternity of following God's purpose for me. And no one's going to make that a question. It's just hard for us to weigh that in yeah. the moment. Yeah. You know, I think that's only through supernatural uh, inclinations that you can, you can have the steadfastness that's required there. Man, that's good stuff. That is good stuff. Well, um, let's bounce back to the painting. Let's bounce, bounce back to the painting industry for a second. You know, Jason, what, one, one of the things that you've, that you've preached for a, you know, a long time uh, especially, you know, being a part of the PCA is to, to level up the industry, right? To professionalize, if you will. You know, what do you think is the, what do you think is the, the key to that? Because as we look yeah. around, I'm, I'm involved with other industries as well. And the painting industry is the, the least professional, the least sophisticated. This doesn't mean the guys aren't great. Doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean I don't love them. None of that. But I see that other industries are just up here. And I'm like, man, I want to see the, I want to see the, I want to see the painting industry come up as well. Mm-hmm. What, what, do you, what do you think? I think there's a dual focus that needs to happen. And you know, I certainly think that it's worth the effort to improve the business talent of the current entrepreneurial pool that's in painting. And I think that's a worthy endeavor and a worthy effort for everybody. And the PCA puts out a ton of free resources. You know, I was asked to step on the board there and ultimately become chair. Uh, I thought long and hard about it because it's quite a commitment. And I ultimately decided that it was an organization that was worth pouring into and that I thought the industry would be better if there was a strong PCA. And so that's why I decided to do, do what I did for that period of time. But my real hypothesis, and I always like to, my real hypothesis is that we need to drive business talent into the industry. And that is what's truly going to move the, the needle in a, a, a ladder step type of a way. So there's not much business talent that is attracted to this business because people are not building businesses nor are they producing equity that is harvestable. So we've seen this evolution happen in several other industries. You saw it happen in coffee shops. You saw it happen in farming. You saw it happen in microbreweries. Typically, who starts a microbrewery in the 1980s? People that like to drink. <laughs> I like to drink. Why wouldn't I start a microbrewery? This is great. Maybe a little bit of science background. Who knows? Who's starting microbreweries today? The MBA savants. 
right? Why are they doing that? Because they know they can build equity, build a business, either scale it to the point where they can hire a management team to now have a passive asset that produces cash flow, or they can roll it up into larger holdings like Anheuser-Busch, and they are able to harvest that equity in a one-time purchase. So until painting companies get uh, more of a reputation or more of an example or a proof of concept of being businesses that are attractive to top-level business talent to dive into, I think we'll be moving you know, the needle in margins as far as the professionalization of the industry. I think providing those uh, use cases of equity being harvested is what's going to drive top-level talent into the industry. Wow. That's a gr- man, that's a great perspective. Not so, everybody shares that perspective, right? That's kind of, uh, but that's what I believe right now. And so, but you, you basically said there's two things. One, the second one was driving business talent in, and the first one was developing the, the, basically the existing owners that are in the industry now. Did I hear you right on that? Right, and that's kind of to what I was saying earlier is there's a lot of business owners that are not business owners running businesses. They are technicians, they are mid-level managers, who have found themselves almost forced to start a painting company. And let's say, let's not abandon that. Let's not give up on that. Continue support, rise, rise the, the, the tides there. My personal belief is probably not very popular. I think that will improve things incrementally. I think if we want to see a ladder step, it's on that, that former uh, option that you called out. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think I'm going to, I'm not going to disagree with that. I think that's uh that's a man. That's a great, a great perspective. So and if we believe, and so then the question becomes: If I believe that, if we believe that, what do you do about it, right? And that's uh, a lot of what I'm laying my hand to these days is around that, uh, that concept and that paradigm of how do you prove out that painting companies can become businesses that are either passive assets or able to be rolled up into a larger holdings. If we believe that that will create copycats that will drive in high-level business talent. So, and, and that's what, uh, is that what you're doing with Aleph Holdings? So that, yes, that would be what Aleph Holding is, right? It's Aleph Holdings is a, it's fundamentally a holdings company that comes in and partners with existing businesses here to date. That's what we've been doing. For the mutual endeavor of scaling it to an asset that could be passive or could be a lifestyle business, but has enough stability that it passes the turkey truck test, right? Even for the owner operator. Tell us about the turkey uh, truck. Tell us about the turkey truck. Turkey truck tech is text is you have equity in your painting business. Congratulations. Right? You make a salary, maybe it's a hundred grand a year, but you have a, a you know two hundred grand of profits. Fantastic. Until the day that you stop showing up to your job, maybe your family continues to hold those shares in your business, but there's no longer profits. So you get hit by the turkey truck, right? It's another you know, way to say that you died. That's kind of like, it's any lifestyle business, which again is the American dream. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's a fundamental difference between being self-employed, even being a business owner and being an investor in the business. Yeah. And if you were to step out of the company, is your equity harvestable, right? Does that equity continue to produce a profit independent of your energy and effort? Not saying that you have to, Right. A lot of our partners have expressed that they want to continue to be active in their business. They just don't want all the responsibility. They typically want to uh, have all the, all the relational sales, which is like a cushy job, and then be like team mascot and visionary. Right? But somebody else is the president. And if you're going to get a president or an integrator placed, as you know, right, you have to scale the company up to a certain professionalization, to a certain uh, infrastructure size, 
to be able to manage and absorb that role. Right, right. Wow. So, you know, what would you say to what would you say to the to the typical guy who's doing, you know, five hundred to a million? Some would just say somewhere in there, and he's yeah. like, "Well, yeah, I want to be there someday." Yeah. What should, where There's, should he start? I'll, what should he do? Well, I'll start by saying there's diamonds in the rough, you know, all over the place, and so. Don't let me uh, discourage you by saying my hypotheses and what I believe about the industry. But I would say by and large, I would say don't bang your head against the wall because you're probably not going to do that. Right? You are probably a technician or a mid-level manager who is not an entrepreneur, which is not, which is not a problem because entrepreneurism is a sickness. It's, an issue. it's like a disease. You can't get rid of it. <laughs> but there are, and especially people listen to you, they are probably those small percentages of people that could use a little bit of support. They could improve their lifestyle business, or maybe they are those diamonds in the rough, right? Who can just need a little information, a little bit of camaraderie, a little bit of mentoring, a little bit of coaching, and they continue to build it on their own. We talked about taking the, the, you know, the business basics 101. So get involved with the coaching group, with a cohort, consume the content that's free out there. I love what you're doing with this, getting a lot of stuff out there. And start with that, let go of your ego. Be willing to bring on people that are going to help you support uh, the vision that you've recast because that's not the vision that gets cast in most businesses. So, well, gosh, the PCA even has the business accelerator, right? Yeah. And so that was something I, I hope. Go ahead. No, I've, I've, I've heard. I haven't done it myself, but I've, I've heard good feedback on it. Yeah. That's something I hope continues to be successful for a long time. That was my passion project as I stepped in as chair for a couple of years is PCA has done a phenomenal job, and its history really has been around the, the, the skill of painting and the trade of painting and what's the best oil primer and, and maybe some of the fundamental building blocks here and there. But to really put a, re, a re-energized focus on the business of business, uh, the art of business in the PCA, you know, I think we've started to move in the right direction. Uh, you know, much, much like my painting company, I've, I've let go of that, that chair role, and it's, it's on the shoulders of you know, the people that are going to be future volunteer leaders to continue to see that forward. But I was really, um, really happy to help re-engage and re-energize that vision for the PCA. Well, I'm thankful that you did that. Thank yeah. you. I Good. know it was, a, Thanks, I know it was a lot of work and you probably could have spent that time and energy doing something else, but you yeah. chose, you chose to give back and man, I appreciate that. And I, I it's a historical association. It's a nonprofit. And it really is a novelty in the trades. Not every trade has that type of an association that is the big tent. And it was, uh, you know, there are definitely, like any leadership role, there are challenges and you know what you're stepping into and you don't know what you're stepping into. But I always was grounded by that guiding light of, it was, it was an entity that was worth pouring attention and focus into because the industry was going to be better, the stronger that it was. What, what do you think is, is I, I still know so many painters that aren't, members, you know, what do you, what do you think is the, the greatest reason why the guy should ante up and join? Cause it costs a few hundred bucks or whatever to join, right? Yeah. What, what would you say to those guys? I would say the number one thing is the relationships and the networking that you get to achieve. And I would say, if you're going to be a PCA member, there's plenty of resources that you get and benefits and all things are like, those are great, but getting to the events is where the rubber meets the road. And a lot of my you know, great friends, that's how we connected was through the PCA. Yeah. And it's, you know, people pay tens of thousands of dollars to go to colleges. 
and they learn some things, but really it's a social club. And, uh, you know, it's a good, good kind of flare piece on their, on their, on their vest. But I'd say the PCA is, you know, by far the best social club around and, and, uh, you know, come, come join. Yeah. One hundred, man, 100%, 100%. Well, uh, wow, Jason, this is, man, this has been really, really good. I'm, I'm glad we're able to connect. I appreciate you being a part today. Man, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Yeah, I'm all over social media. So if you find me on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, you can usually get a hold of me. You can feel free to shoot me an email as well. I have a bunch of emails. They all go to the same place. You can maybe put them in the, in the links. Uh, Jason at Paris hyphen painting. It's probably the easiest one for me to pronounce uh, over air here. And then you can try and call me, but I won't answer. And uh, you can probably follow it up with a text. <laughs> okay, great. Man, thank you so much. And uh, thanks for being here today. And and uh, contractors, feel free to reach out with, to Jason with any questions. Reach out to me with any questions. Love, love to see you online. God bless you all. Hey, contractors, I want to invite you to connect. If you want to get connected with the Contractor Freedom community, simply point your browser to contractorfreedom.live. That's contractorfreedom.live. On there, you'll find the link to our Facebook private group, our page, our newsletter. You'll find a a link to our podcast. So I just want to invite you to, to come on over, join the community. I look forward to getting to know you more. Thanks for listening in today.